This is Unsolved Mysteries of the World, Season 1, Episode 23, The Highway Murders, Part 3. But what if the perpetrator are perpetrators of missing and murdered women along Western Canadian highways is even more sinister than we can imagine? There is a deep distrust among locals of the police force handling these cases, especially in past years. As previously stated, it is believed there is systemic racism at play that has resulted in a lack of interest and follow-up. Speculation from the community is that the perpetrator or group of perpetrators involved in some of these crimes may in fact be members of the police force themselves. And this is why many of the cases simply do not have the attention that they so rightfully deserve and had been shelved for so long. Dina Lynn Bram was last seen alive hitchhiking to her home in Bucci Lake from Quenelle, BC on September 25, 1999. Her body was recovered on December 10, 1999, northwest of Quenelle near Pinnacles Provincial Park. She was another victim of the Highway of Tears, and her case still remains unsolved. However, a man by the name of Lonnie Landrug has claimed he witnessed the murder and he believes he knows who is responsible. Police have remained silent in regards to Lonnie's vocalizations of corruption within the RCMP detachments in Northern BC. Lonnie was interviewed extensively by a local filmmaker in 2007 concerning his witness statement. His entire interview will be made available in separate bonus podcasts attached to this episode. A much shorter interview was recorded by resident Frank Frost in which Lonnie Landrum explains that he believes the RCMP are involved in the drug trade, prostitution, and ultimately behind some of the missing and murdered individuals in Northern BC. Lonnie claims he stumbled upon a murder scene while he taking a shortcut through a local park on his way to a 7-Eleven to buy some cigarettes back in the fall of 99. He claims the RCMP attempted on numerous occasions to murder him. He also claims to have reached out again and again to every and any form of government and media organization in order to get one thing that he's always tried to do, have an independent investigation into the crime that he witnessed that night. To date, no investigation has been completed. Here is a portion of the interview that deals with the specific claim that he says he saw the RCMP involved in murder. The entire interview, will once again appear unedited as a separate bonus podcast for those who wish to delve a little deeper. Now, let's, let's, let's go back to that. Okay. And describe exactly what you saw these two cops and that uh, paid informant do. Okay. okay. Now, this could be hard for me, Frank, and I, I tell you. I know, I know. Because they're going to relive this. Yeah. Okay, I went. We're pack of smokes, walking up the trail. I I just had sixteen hundred dollar paycheck in my pocket. Yeah. I just heard that there was robberies going on at the Grove. Yeah. And that's what they call the drug dealers down yeah. there. Yeah. I chose not to go that way. Yeah. I thought, no, I'll just walk up to uh, Pinnacles Park. Yeah. And go get a pack of smokes. Mm -hmm. I was out of cigarettes. And I'm sorry, I'm a smoker, but uh, whatever. My choice, <laughs> but whatever. Uh, 
what I walked into. I heard, I have, I heard motors running, and I'm kind of self-perceptive. And when I got up there, I looked over the hill and I seen this police car with lights on both sides. In front of the police car was a green van. I believe it was green. I, yeah. It may have been blue. It could have yeah. been. Yeah. And I seen there, oh, seen Collister get, get out of the van. And I had known Paul Collister because of the threat that I give his paid informant. Yeah. Bev Hosker was there, and I knew her because she sexually assaulted me. Yeah. Diane Puchinickel, I've, I've always known she's a rat. I, I grew up on the street, so I... Yeah. Yeah. But these are the people that I've seen, and the feet that were sticking out of the rug, and it was, I believe it was a beige carpet. Uh, the light in the back of the van, when you lifted the back door, It's hard to tell. It could have been green. I don't, yeah. you know. Yeah. yeah. Boy, after all the nightmares I lived through, it's hard to tell, right? Yeah. But anyway. No, and then I watched them through their throat, and I watched Bev Hosker. Was, was she alive at the time? I don't know. Oh. Uh, the way the blood flow, like, and blood looks black at night. Yeah. And, God, I never seen anything like that in my life. Of course. Of course. Terrific. Now they slit her throat, and like, what else did they do to her, if anything? Well, I ran. I I don't remember getting back to the trailer. Right. I have no fucking concept. Like I just ran. I just went like, what the fuck? I just walk into. Yeah, yeah. And I got back to the trailer. And my first concept was on the RCMP. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's what you told to do, right? That's right. That's, you were, Report to the authorities, they say, right? That's right. Yeah. So they, they, they see, what they forget to tell you is that you're supposed to report all crimes except the ones that they do. And that's why you become a victim. It's because the minute you report a crime that they do, they victimize you. Just like they did to me when I reported the murder of Carrie's child and the molestation that she suffered as a child by their, her father and two lawyers, Ken Aziz and James Turner. The minute I did that, they attacked me, just like the cops did to Lonnie. And That's what they do. And everybody else is controlled through fear. Yeah, and the only way to get around these people is put it out on the social media first. Stand up. Then. Go and tell the rest of them, because if you don't, they will victimize you. If you if you tell your story out here on the social media, sitting next to me as Ollie's doing, they can't attack you. If they do, well then we know who hurt you, don't we? So they can't really come after Lonnie now and murder him in the street down here, because I'll know and you'll know who did that. And they can't afford that because they're perfect, remember, in their society.
it, uh, all they're doing is protecting each other. That's right. Now, the, and that, you know, you either got to be a part of the problem or a part of the solution. Part of the solution is when somebody reports a cop like Collister murdering somebody, they need to go and get that cop and get him out of our system and charge him with those crimes and put him in prison where he belongs. That's what I advocate. I don't advocate going around killing all cops. No, I don't either. Nope, because it's not all cops that are doing this. And the ones that are standing back and not saying anything and, 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 and endorsing and, and helping these cops get away with these crimes. You are a part of the problem. You will never be a part of the solution until you speak up and say, this is wrong. And my oath of I will follow orders goes out the fucking window and you actually stand up and protect our society, our children, your children, your very own children, you cops that are not saying anything. You judges that don't say anything. You lawyers that don't say anything. And especially you politicians that expect that X on that piece of paper need to absolutely go trip over everybody else to find out why this person was not charged with that crime. If I committed that crime with that little girl, I would be charged and I would be in prison because that's what my system, our system, dictates. That's not happening here. And I found that the RCMP are above the law. Sure they are. Sure they are. They have sovereign immunity. Because there is no public information about Lonnie's claims and no RCMP statement, we can only take Lonnie's claims so far. After all, he is just one person speaking out against a system. Or is he? New York-based Human Rights Watch released a report at a press conference in Ottawa, Ontario, claiming that police abuse of Aboriginal women in BC included threats, torture, and sexual assault. Two researchers, one from Canada and one from the US, spent five weeks visiting 10 communities between Prince George to Prince Rupert and hearing accounts from Aboriginal women of alleged mistreatment at the hands of police. The report suggests some of the accounts of harm done to women and girls appear to be the result of poor policing tactics, over-aggressive policing, and insensitivity to victims. It documented eight incidents of police physically assaulting or using questionable force against girls under 18. The report also contains troubling and graphic allegations of physical and sexual abuse including one from a woman who describes how police took her outside of town and raped her. And then she says the officer said that if she told anybody, they would take her out to the mountains and kill her and make it look like an accident. In the missing woman inquiry, sex trade workers claimed police officers blackmailed them into having sex. They claimed the police officers said if they didn't have sex with them, they would arrest them for solicitation. Our Kate Corcoran is live in Prince George tonight with a CTV News exclusive. Kate? 
Bill, this has been a year-long investigation by members from outside this community. Now the next step, likely disciplinary hearings and potentially criminal charges. Two Mounties, constables, who had both worked here in the Prince George City Detachment in the 90s, are no longer on the job. I can confirm uh, today that uh, we have an investigation uh, regarding two members uh, in a criminal investigation regarding misconduct. The allegations of misconduct involve sexual relations with underage street girls working as prostitutes on the same streets these men had sworn to protect. If there's smoke, there's fire. Is it only two? Um, and only two is bad enough. Uh, because this then begins to erode, obviously, enough the confidence of the community in the local police detachment. As CTV News revealed last November, the damning accusations come from at least two of four females who stood their ground against another person of authority, former local judge David Ramsey, who was sent to prison for sexually assaulting and buying sex from girls as young as 12. I was so concerned. But those young people would just be discredited. So it doesn't matter. So if these are, you know, more allegations, I'm hoping that those those young women feel secure. And this is just the tip of the iceberg. A former BC court judge stunned friends and colleagues by confessing he is guilty of sexually assaulting teenage girls, including one count of causing bodily harm. In a courtroom in Prince George, David William Ramsey pled guilty to a total of five charges. The charges date back to a nine-year period where Ramsey was a provincial court judge. Ramsey never looked at his victims, four young women who hugged friends and social workers as court adjourned. The victims, who were aged 12 to 16 years old when they were assaulted, had all appeared before Ramsey in court in Prince George. He knew their previous histories of being sexually abused, about their suicidal thoughts, and their lives on the streets. As the Crown Prosecutor pointed out, Ramsey knew how vulnerable these girls were. According to an agreed statement of fact read in court, quote, he picked the girls up on the street on different occasions, drove them to a rural area near the jail, and paid them for sex. When one girl asked him to use a condom, he slammed her head on the dashboard until she bled, then chased her when she ran away. He slapped her, sexually assaulted her, called her a whore, and smiled, the court was told. Ramsey picked up a 12-year-old native girl, paid her $80 for oral sex and intercourse, and then sat in judgment of her in court three months later. Aware of her past, he picked her up again when she was 13 and paid her $150 to simulate aggressive sex. When she tried to escape, he told her no one would believe her word over his. He picked up another girl four to six times, starting when she was just 14, because he knew of her fragile mental state and her low self-esteem. Ramsey tried once to overpower a 15-year-old girl who he'd argued with, then threw her from his car, and he threatened to have her killed and left there. Who would have killed her on his behalf? The former judge who traveled extensively in northern communities of BC was sentenced to seven years in prison and would have gotten out in three years if he completed treatment. And before he admitted guilt, Ramsey transferred all his belongings and wealth so that victims would not be able to sue him. So much for feeling remorse for his victims. 
Unfortunately, this monster died in prison from lung cancer in 2008. Unfortunately, some of his victims passed away shortly after his conviction, brought down by drugs and life on the street. Some left Prince George, and others, it seems, have since to disappear. There are many, many victims along the highways in BC and Alberta. Officially, the investigation is only open to just over a dozen. Some of these crimes may be connected, as we noted with Bobby Fowler, but with reason, we can assume that a lot of these crimes are due to drugs, gangs, and high-risk lifestyles, coupled together with poverty, racism, and inadequate, and even corrupt policing and judiciary systems. It's surprising to see that many sites and organizations list only the missing and murdered women from 1969 up until 2011 as victims of the Highway of Tears. But in reality, there are many, many, many more victims, and each day it seems there is another report of a missing person popping up. The highway will continue to collect victims, and the tears along the highway will continue to flow, unless a proper outside investigation is completed and real change is made within communities. And most recently, on September 6, 2017, Mountie started investigating a bizarre kidnapping case in northern BC and have identified one of the victims as a young man reported missing a month previous in Metro Vancouver. The family of 21-year-old Keith Caponias said he was visiting friends in Langley when he disappeared in late August. On Wednesday, the RCMP confirmed he has been found alive along with two other people who are being held captive on a rural property near Dawson Creek in northern BC, some 1,200 kilometers away. The motive for the apparent kidnappings is unclear, but Mountie said they have, quote, no reason to believe there is any risk to the general public, end quote. Authorities were alerted to the crime after two of the captives escaped and called for help. Local RCMP officers, along with emergency response team members, went to the rural home and managed to find and rescue a third victim. All three were treated for non-life-threatening injuries. Few other details have been released, but Mountie said there were multiple captors involved. Caponias, who has no criminal record, was born in Penticton, but had recently been working in Dawson Creek. It's unclear whether he was taken captive during his visit to Metro Vancouver or somewhere else. Anyone with information on the apparent kidnappings is asked to call the RCMP at 250-784-3700 are Crime Stoppers at 1-800-222-8477. Thank you for listening, and please remember to join us on Facebook for photos and documents. Just search Unsolved Mysteries of the World. Also, please remember to subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes or your favorite podcast directory. Remember, alongside this podcast, we have bonus episodes with full, unedited interviews. Special thanks goes out to Heather McKenzie for research and discussion on this topic. Until next time, stay safe.